Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year, Hope Church. Happy New Year, Hope Church. I'll, I'll try this side. Happy New Year, Hope Church. Happy New Year, Hope Church. I was trying to make sure y'all was, okay, all right, all right. Listen, it's so good to see y'all. Y'all didn't gain no weight over holidays. Amen, amen, amen. Well, um, I'm excited for this morning, man. Um, It it was October 1st, 2011, when I had what the temptations would call sunshine on a cloudy day. When it was cold outside, I had the month of May. Well, I guess you say what could make me feel this way, my girl. Yes, that was the day I married my chocolate queen, Rosalie Harris. Now, this is, this is pre-beard here. This is pre-beard here, pre-beard here. Listen, one thing about me, man, I love a good wedding. I love a good wedding. I love to see the groom standing at the altar, waiting for his bride to come down the aisle and those double doors to open as she walks down the elegant gown and the two now become one in holy matrimony. I, I love a good wedding. And because I love a good wedding, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about another wedding that's coming. But this one would be altogether different. This is the most beautiful, elegant wedding you've ever seen in your life. In fact, you don't want to settle for an invite, but you want to be a part of the wedding party. And this is what we call the second coming of Christ Jesus. When Christ is coming back to get his people. Hope Church, let me just remind you of this. Jesus Christ is coming back to get his people. And as we step into this new year, I just want to jog your memory to remind you, just in case if you've forgotten 2022, let me let you know in 2023, Christ is coming back to get his people. And as we end this series of, of our Advent series, this wedding, this second coming is, is so important. I, I don't want you to miss it. it it's, it's vital to our lives, in fact. But the question you would say is, well, Pastor Ricky, why is it so important? What's the big deal about the second coming of Jesus? In fact, let me ask the question this way. Why should I reorient my life around the second coming of Christ? Why should I rearrange my life around the second coming? Well, I have to answer that question by saying this way. Because the way we respond to the second coming of Christ determines the rest of our days in this life and the life to come. The reason why the second coming of Christ is so important, the reason why today's sermon is so vital is because it will affect your life today and forevermore, be it for better or for worse. So we find this wedding today in Matthew 25. And and since this wedding is so important, We should ask the question, well, Ricky, how do I respond to the second coming of Christ Jesus? And so today I want to show you three important ways in which you and I should respond to Christ's second coming. But before we dive into that, I want to show you the most important person in this whole wedding. Most weddings, the most important person is the bride, but not today. The most important person in this wedding is the groom. The groom is Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is 
this groom seems to be late to his own wedding. But let me tell you this. Jesus is never late. He's always on time. And what this shows us first is that you and I debating on when Christ will come back is pointless. You don't know. In fact, Matthew 24 says this way. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Hear me. This is what I call something we can negotiate. We can negotiate when Christ is coming back, but what, what we cannot negotiate is the fact that he is coming back. That's not a negotiable. Jesus is coming back. We don't negotiate that. And since there's different schools of thought in the room about when Christ shall return, let's all agree on this this morning. Christ will return later than expected, sooner than expected, and at an unexpected time. All right? Later, sooner. We all good. In fact, I call this the greatest blind date of all time. I don't know the specifics. I just know that he's coming back to get me. All right? Now, now that we've settled that, let's dive into our text. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It says this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, um... Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The first way we should respond to Christ's second coming is to be expectant. Verse 1 says that there's ten virgins and they're waiting on the arrival of Jesus. Now hear me. Um, these, these ten virgins, uh, their job was to simply be bridesmaids. Uh, they were to be the expectant community of God. They represent the expectant community of God when Christ shall come back. And these virgins now, they're waiting on the groom. They're, 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 they're expecting of his return. Hear me. They show their expectation by their obedience. They're at their post because they know that Jesus Christ is coming. Hear me, Hope Church. For all of us who are Christians, this is what you and I are called to be. Christians who are at our post, being obedient because we know that Jesus Christ is coming back and we are ready for him. Now, we show our expectancy not just by our belief, but by looking for him. In fact, you know, Christ gives much honor, much blessing, much respect to those Christians who are constantly looking for him. He gives much honor to them. In fact, in Luke 12, it says this way. Luke 12, there, there it is. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Jesus gives much honor and respect to us who are constantly looking for his arrival. But then he not only gives honor and respect, 
he also tells us why we should be expectant. Matthew 24 says this way, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So uh, Christ attaches his coming to a thief in the night. I'll say it this way. Let me just say, if I told you that I'm going to rob your house, I'm sure you're going to stay awake. I'm positive if I say I'm coming to your house at 11 o'clock tonight, I'm sure you're going to stay awake. But Christ is saying, I'm coming. I am coming. Stay awake. I am coming. Be expectant of my arrival. I am coming. Stay awake. Hear me. I came this morning to put you on high alert. Jesus Christ is coming. And the way that you and I expect him is just not by looking for him, but it's how we live our life. Our lifestyle shows that we are expectant of his return. I, I love this. Um, our anticipation of Christ's return, our expectancy, it's not driven by fear, but by love. Uh, I'll say it this way. Whenever you love someone, you can't wait to see them. In fact, Christ would say in Matthew 22, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can't help but wait to see him. Now hear me, Christ is not saying to not live your everyday life. You know, because you, know, you got bills, you got to pay, you got bills. Like Christ is not saying don't live your life, but what he is saying is, because I'm coming, it should alter the way you live your life. Uh, I'll try this way. I don't think y'all get it. I'll try this out over here. <laughs> I remember the first week before I was uh, about to get married to Rosie, the, the week leading up to it, man, I, I had it bad. I, I, I should say it, I had it bad. I was, your boy was sprung. I was whipped. <laughs> I could not stop thinking about that girl. And it was funny, like, the more I thought about her, I found myself doing some things I wouldn't normally do. Anyone ever been in love so much that you find yourself doing stuff you wouldn't normally do? Oh, I'm the only one? Okay, okay, thank you. I'm like, come on now. But I found myself uh, going back to some old photos, looking at my bride and just how far we had come. I then found some old letters and, and began to read through those letters about an hour. But that wasn't enough. I then had saved some old voicemails. And start playing those back to back to back. Hear me. Because I loved her so much, I couldn't stop thinking about her. And the more I thought about her, I couldn't wait to see her and be reunited. And it feels like I couldn't wait to be around her. It's this same thinking, this same love, this same affection that should push us to can't wait to see Christ Jesus. That we are expecting of his return. When you love somebody, and I mean really love somebody, you want to be with them. But if we can be honest, it was much easier to expect to see Rosie than it is at times to expect to see Jesus. Why don't we think more about Christ coming? It's easier to think about getting married to my wife than to see Christ coming. 
Why is that? Now, see, I know most of us in here are probably Christians, and so we don't really think about the coming of Christ because we're not afraid of his wrath. But by God's grace, we've been saved by his wrath, so we don't really think about a second coming. But I would argue that because you are saved from his wrath, you should think more about his second coming. Because you are saved from God's wrath and judgment, you should think more about him coming. Your heart should say, Maranatha, Maranatha. In the Greek, it means, Lord, come, Lord, come, Lord, come. Why? Because I am safe from your wrath. I know we got a thousand New Year's resolutions. And I know the first one is to get in shape. And so from January to February, you'll do great, but March to December, you'll give it up. But can we add to that list? of saying, God, when I wake up every morning, I ask the question, is this the day that you're coming to get me? Is this the day that you're coming to get your son, coming to get your daughter? Can we add to that New Year's resolution that I'm constantly expecting Christ to come, and because I'm expecting him, I'm standing at my post. I'm ready. In fact, Pastor David Platt talks about the fact that our hearts are not leaning to seeing second coming of Christ, he says this way, consider what this might say about our heart, what this might mean about where our priorities and passions lie. I think the reason why we don't think much about Christ's second coming is because we've made this place our home. This is not your best life now. It's the one to come. The reason Christians rarely think about the second coming of Christ is because somehow we have made this place our home. Jesus is coming back to get his bride, and he is expecting them to be ready. This is not our home. I long to be with my Savior. This is what it means to be expecting of his return. These ten virgins, they were at their post, ready to celebrate the bride and groom coming together. But in verses 2 through 4, there's a shift now in the wedding party. It says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Interesting now. We got five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. The five wise took extra oil for their journey. The five foolish took no extra oil. And what we shall begin to see is, if you're going to expect someone... You should prepare for their arrival, which leads us now to our second point. Not only are we called to be expectant, but we're called to be prepared. In verse 1, these 10 virgins, put up 10 fingers, put up 10 fingers, put up 10 fingers. I'm so proud of y'all. Y'all listen so well. Look at y'all, look at y'all, look at y'all. So proud of y'all. All right, put them down, put them down. 10 virgins, all right? Miss Alice, put them down, Miss Alice. Now, it says five were wise. Put up five fingers. Put up five fingers. Put up five fingers. Five, five were wise. When you, see, when you see wise in this text, it means to be prudent. It means to prepare for the future. It means to understand what is coming. Uh, Rosie was good at this. When our kids were young, we would go shopping for them. Uh, I would always buy clothes for exactly the month they were living. Three months old, I bought three months old. She's like, put that down. Get that six month, that eight month. She understood that these kids are going to grow. So she prepared for the future by buying clothes that would fit them as they continue to grow. That's what you mean to be prudent. Prepare for the future. 
Now put up five more fingers. Five more, five more, five more. All right, all right, put them down, put them down. Matter of fact, put them up again. Jazz hands, jazz hands, jazz hands. All right, put them down, put them down, put them down. <laughs> now we got foolish. Foolish means to be flippant. Means to be imprudent. It means to make no preparations for the future. And so this is clearly seen in verses 5 through 9. It says this, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for the lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. I want to park here for a minute. In the text, oil, it represents to be prepared. It means to be prudent. These five wise virgins, they were wise for they prepared for the future. They brought enough oil just in case if the groom was late. They brought enough oil just in case if he was delayed. See, in the text, these five wise virgins represent real Christians. They were prepared for Christ's arrival. Now, Ricky, how do you prepare for Christ's arrival? First, by placing your faith in him. By believing that he is the son of God, by believing that he died on the sins, uh, for our sins, this is how you first prepare for the arrival of Jesus, by placing your faith in him. But after you place your faith in him, we, you and I should have an abiding relationship. We don't believe in Christ to back away from him. We believe in Christ to walk towards him in consistent rhythms of faith, consistently abiding in our relationship, cultivating intimacy with him. And so... I want to give you four just small ways in which you and I can continue to grow in our intimacy with Jesus. The first way is worship. Worship is not singing and clapping. Worship is a lifestyle. I live my life submitted to Jesus. Second is God's word. Now, I'll say this right here. To be a Christian and to not read your Bible is an oxymoron. The word of God is your life. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How can you know Jesus apart from his Word? To be a Christian and only read your Bible on Sunday is like being married only in public. We are called to be people of the Word. In fact, I've heard it this way. A Bible, here it is, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. As a pastor, hear me, I'm not trying to be rude. As a pastor, I, I do a lot of counseling. What breaks my heart is the fact that I, I see Christians trying to live out the gospel apart from Jesus. Is this me? Yes, it is. It's the beard. It's the beard. But what breaks my heart is to see Christians trying to live out the gospel apart from God's word. The Bible is your life. And hear me, if you struggle reading the Bible... Start off this year by opening that Bible and wearing it out. That is your life. Got to keep going here. Next is prayer. Communing with God. And next is being a part of God's people. Now, I hear it. Well, Pastor Ricky, God's people are messy. Yeah, and so are you. <laughs> you just as jacked up as I am. But we all family. Amen, amen. But these are consistent rhythms of faith that we are called to continue to cultivate in, to build our intimacy with Jesus. 
And these ladies, they had enough oil to be prepared to persevere until his coming. Now, I love this. This is important. Just because you are a Christian, that does not mean you won't face injustice. You won't face death and hardships and cancer and relational rifts. But by being a Christian, God places his Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit gives you enough strength and mercy and grace and faith to last through all the long days and the long nights until Christ returns. Oil, if you will. I want to keep pressing into what it means to be wise. It's seen really in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, when the groom came, they got up and trimmed their lamps. To trim their lamps in the Greek it simply means this, to set in order. It's where we get our word cosmos or the word world. When the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you, he acts as a project manager. And he begins to set your life and your heart and your mind all in order. Why? So that when Christ returns, you are ready. So are you ready? Are you prepared? Now we talked about what it means to be wise. Let's talk about what it means to be foolish. In verse 2, it says that five of them were foolish. In verse 2, it paints a picture of an ongoing foolishness. This is not the first time they will be foolish. They made conscious decisions to not prepare for the coming of the Lord. They consistently said, I do not want to hear the gospel. I will not prepare myself for the coming of the Lord. So, Ricky, what are you saying? Well, if oil represents being prepared, and to be prepared means you place your faith in Christ Jesus, and these ladies had no oil, it probably means they were not true Christians. And what breaks my heart is, some of you in here today are choosing to make foolish decisions. You've heard the gospel numerous times. Your mama, your daddy, your brother, your sister, they've shared with you numerous times about Christ's coming and you've told them no. Got to keep going here. Um, and this foolish, their foolishness is seen in verses 5 and 10. In verse 5, it says that the groom was delayed. I love this. If you want to know who somebody is, just give them some time. You want to find out who somebody really is? Just give him some time. Jesus was delayed on purpose to show them who they really were. They didn't bring enough oil for the, for the delay. That truly showed that they were not true believers. If you want to know who someone is, just give them some time. Christ says, I will patiently wait to show you who you really are. Just because you come to church, that does not mean that you're mine. Just because you read your Bible and you tithe, that does not mean that you're mine. Then in verse 10, Christ, did, Christ does come, and these foolish ladies, they're out trying to get oil in this moment. This shows a hurried response, that they wait to the last minute to get their life together. But verse 10, the Bible says that the door was shut. There's coming a day when it's too late. There's coming a day when Christ's grace will run out. It's coming a day when Christ says, no more. 
You've heard the gospel enough times. You've been to enough church services. You chose not to place your faith in me. It is too late. Um, I'll say it this way. My, my mom and dad are here. Mom and dad, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise, mama, raise your hand. Yeah, there you go. Stay here. Um, my mom name, my mom is Valerie, and my dad, that's Big Rick. So listen, listen, only today, only today, I'll be called Pastor Little Rick. But that's Big Rick. When Big Rick's in the room, I'm Little Rick. But once he leaves, I'm back to Pastor Ricky, okay? So today, I'm Pastor Little Rick. I'll give you that one. But once he leaves, I'm back to Pastor Ricky, okay? But what's funny is my, my mom and dad, man, they raised me well. I love them to death, man. My mom and dad, they have a difference when it comes to time. They have no idea I'm about to talk about. They have no idea. I love it. Um, Growing up as a kid, I would have a sports game, and my mom would say, Ricky, I'll be home at 4.30, be ready. Now, my mom, I knew I had a grace period there, about 15, 20 minutes. She would pull up. She'd just wait in the car, real patient, you know, real nice and Christian-like, you know, it's real patient. You know, I knew I had a 15, 20-minute grace period. But Big Rick, when Big Rick said I'd be home at 4.30, if you ain't outside, you getting left. <laughs> now, what's funny is, in this text, I see both the tendency of my mom and dad in Christ Jesus. Christ says, I'm giving you some grace. Hope Church, I've pulled up. I'm waiting on you. I'm giving you grace. I also see the tendency of my daddy when he says, but the next time I pull up and you are not ready, you will be left. So are you prepared? Are you prepared? Don't gamble with your life. There's two things that work against you. First of all, God will say one day, give me back my breath. And then God says, I'm coming back at a time that you don't know. Here's the issue. You don't know when those two are happening. Don't gamble with your life. You don't know when Christ says, I'm coming back. And if you are not prepared, he says, I am leaving you. Don't gamble with your life. Hear me, I, I would love to preach a sermon that makes you feel good, but this is one that needs to be preached. This is your time. I'm giving you grace. There's coming a moment that grace. Christ says, be expectant, be prepared. And last, he says, be alert. Now, we've got some good news here in verse 10 for the Christians. Christ is coming back. I'm going to say it again. i got some good news for the Christians. Christ is coming back. We're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to have a good time. Listen, Jesus, come get me right now. I'm tired of paying bills. Come get me right now, Lord, in the middle of this sermon. Come get me right now. Well, then we got some bad news. That those who don't know him won't be along for the ride. Verse 11, it says, afterwards, 
The other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Now, interesting here. The first time these virgins were foolish, it was because they had little preparation. But this time, they have too much presumption. Now, the, now you're saying, well, Pastor Ricky, they, they, they simply just asked to borrow some oil. Well, what's the big deal? They simply ask, aren't Christians supposed to be nice and kind? Yes, we are. We're supposed to be obedient first. And Christ said, be prepared. When these ladies ask to borrow some oil, it's not as innocent as you think. What they're saying is, I'm going to wait to the last minute to get my life ready if Christ comes. And if he comes, I'll just borrow from you. What they're simply saying is, I'll take your personal walk with Jesus and make it mine. My mama told me something at 12 years old. She said, son, you have to have your own personal relationship with Jesus. Hear me. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You cannot get to heaven based off your mama's faith or your daddy's faith or your cousin's faith. You have to have your own personal walk with Jesus. See, this is where it gets a little scary now. Before, you could hide in the crowd. Not now. Now it's terrifyingly individual. You have to know him for yourself. But then they also presume not only on these wise virgins, but they presume on Christ's grace. They say, Lord, Lord, let us in. Christ says, I don't know you. That seems cruel, Ricky, to a gracious Jesus, right? No, it's not. God's grace has a time limit. See, when Christ says, I do not know you, he's saying, I don't know you personally. You may know facts about me, that I died on the cross and I, I rose for three days, but you don't know me. Then what breaks my heart the most is, in the Greek, this I don't know you is in the perfect tense. It means I don't know you now, and I will never know you. Man, I think about people in my family and my friends who don't know Jesus, and it's coming a day when God says, it's too late. And if you're a Christian, this should weigh heavy on you. Because the only reason you got in is because someone shared the gospel with you. The only reason you got in is because someone was more concerned about your salvation than their comfort. The gospel is good news, but only if you get it in time. Man, my heart gripped. Christ says, I don't know you now. I will never know you. See, they don't have enough time now because they had too much time earlier. Are you here? You come to all the church services, and yet you still make a decision to be foolish. Is that you? I'm not trying to castigate. I'm simply saying, come to Jesus, for when the door is shut, it is too late. 
Verse 13, Christ makes this whole passage easy. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So how can I be prepared, Pastor Ricky? It's by having your Christian life in order that when you are surprised by his return, you will be ready. So how can I be ready? By placing our faith in Christ Jesus and by persevering in our faith through the end. I heard one time of a story of a father and son they loved to collect rare art pieces, Van Gogh, Picasso, Rembrandt. They would spend hours just gawking at these pieces, but one day the son would be called off to war and leave the father at home alone. The father would hear news that the son lost his life saving another soldier. The father would be crushed. And one day he would hear a knock at the door, and there stood a young man with a very large package. He said, sir, you don't, you don't know me. But I'm the young man that your son died saving. He would often tell me that you love to collect rare art pieces, and so I, I want to give you this gift. The father opened the package, and there it was, a portrait of his son. He was surprised how this, how this new painter could capture his son's eyes, his essence. He would do something remarkable. He would move the Rembrandt. He would move the Picasso. He would put the portrait of the kiddish-looking son right in the center of his mantelpiece. The father would soon pass away and naturally up for auction when his paintings. Folks would come from miles around to get these collections. And so the auctioneer said, the auction started. The first painting on the docket was a portrait of the son. He would say, the son, the son, who will take the son? They said, we don't want to see this. Get this out of here. We came for the Picasso, the Rembrandt. But he will continue to say, the son, the son, who will take the son? They said, get this out of here. We don't want to see this. But he would say one last time, the son, the son, who will take the son? And the gardener who tended the grounds only had $10 and said, I will take the son. He would say, sold. He would then say, auction's over. What do you mean the auction's over? We came for the Picasso, the, the Rembrandt. What do you mean the auction's over? The auctioneer said, when I was given this auction, I was told about a secret stipulation in the will. I was told that whoever bought the portrait of the son got the whole collection. I was told that whoever has the Son has everything. I stand here this morning with the Bible in my hand as the auctioneer, and I simply say, the Son, the Son, who will take the Son? I stand here for those who don't know Jesus. And I simply say, the son, the son, who will take the son? 
I am begging with you because you do not know the day nor the hour when God is coming back. And God says, I'm giving you grace now. Choose me. Some of you in here, you are determined to be foolish. You're determined to not be prepared for when he comes. And when he comes, it is too late. God says, I pulled up. I'm offering you grace now. I'm offering you salvation now. But there's coming a day when it's too late. I sat with that weight on my chest all week of the people that I love the most who don't know Jesus in my heart. don't know Christ Jesus you tried everything and you came here maybe today because you want to start your new year off right well you can by placing your faith in Christ Jesus there is no better way to start off your new year than to put your faith in Jesus for those of us who are Christians you know the people in your life who don't know Jesus you know those people. They keep you up at night. I would love, we would love to pray on their behalf that God will save them before he says, I don't know you now and I will never know you. Because our pastors come. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I stand here as the auctioneer because what I have behind me is the greatest thing God ever gave to mankind. I would love for you to place your faith in him. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose, that all who might believe in him may have life. You are a Christian, and you think about those people in your life who you love the most who don't know Jesus. Would you come down and let us pray for you? Would you come here and let us pray for you? Would you come here and cast that to Jesus? So if you don't know Christ Jesus, our pastors, myself, we would love to introduce you to him. If you're online and you don't know Christ Jesus, we would love to connect with you. And if you are a believer, and you find yourself needing to be prepared, be alert, be expected. Because Christ is coming back. So when the band comes, we begin to sing. That is your time to respond. If you do not know Jesus, I have one last question for you. Son, the son, who 